it is a way to quantify how much something is happening uh, over time so that we can see changes in how much that something is happening. And the something that we're interested in is usually a result that really matters to us. That is Stacy Barr, the author of Practical Performance Measurement and Prove It. She's also the creator of the Pump Framework. I call it the thinking person's model for learning and adopting performance measurement in any organization. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf, and our interview with Stacy Barr is coming up next. I had about 10 first questions for Stacy. I then whittled it down to five, then three. And then finally, this one. I just had to ask Stacy Barr, how did you get started? Probably stumbled into it like, like most funny. people do. <laughs> um, I was naturally good at maths, actually, which is unusual um, in, in, in my uh, school-aged years uh, for a girl to be good at maths. I didn't have to study for it. Uh, I loved doing it. In high school, I took all of the hard math subjects and physics, and uh, I had a vision of becoming a doctor. I think most people who are kind of fairly academically gifted think of becoming a doctor or a lawyer, or at least we used to in those days. But I didn't quite get the score. I think I missed out by one point on getting into medicine at, at university. So I went in and I thought, I'll just keep doing more maths and then I'll I'll up my GPA and I'll, I'll be able to switch across. But uh, I didn't do that. I just stayed with maths. I studied pure maths and statistics and any math subject that I could do. And I really wasn't sure where it was going to take me. Uh, but I, uh, I I think I somehow managed to take more statistics subjects than, than other streams of maths and, and decided I'll be a statistician. So my first job was with um, the Australian Bureau of Agriculture and Resource Economics, and I was a research statistician. I did a lot of the analysis with another, you know, with a team of statisticians to inform uh, our federal government about um, all things happening in the in the, the broadacre agriculture sector in Australia, sheep farming, wheat farming, all that kind of thing. Um, but I had to move away from my hometown to do that, and I was pretty keen to come back uh, to southeast Queensland. Uh, so I took on another job again as a research statistician. Uh, but I, I kind of, I started getting a little bored sitting in the back office, crunching numbers and writing programs, and then a job came up in the railways where they were looking for a measurement consultant and I didn't know what that was at the time, but they were clearly wanted somebody that had statistical skills, but they were looking for somebody that they felt had some people skills as well. And I didn't know if I had people skills or not, but the manager saw that in me, Kevin. And so I got the job and spent six years there playing in this field of organisational performance measurement, stumbling in that field, I should say, and we'll probably get into some of this in our conversation, but Oh, my goodness, what a mess performance measurement was. This is back in the mid-90s, and it was something I had to teach myself, basically, but not just how to apply my maths to the measurement of what happens in a railway, but also how to develop those personal skills that my manager was originally looking for because, as as you and I both <laughs> both know and probably all our listeners know, um, performance measurement is a bit of a minefield when it comes to people and how they feel about it and how they behave uh, in response to it. So that, that's, I guess that's the, the way it all began. D- Dean Spitzer, someone you know you've written about in your first book or mentioned him, 
He says that every business should consider having a CMO, Chief Measurement Officer. How would someone even go about wanting to be like you, but in a in a large organization? Any thoughts or ideas? Or do, you, or do you just stumble into it? I don't think we should be stumbling into it. Uh, and as you know from, from Dean Spitz's work and, and how he's so passionate about it, um, the problems with measurement in our organisations, I think, is that we've continued to stumble around it. We've continued to have very ad hoc approaches to it. We've continued to assume that managers and employees know enough to do it well. And as it turns out, that's not the case. Uh, what has... Um, What's become common practice in measurement actually has its roots in some very poor practices, very bad habits. So I do think we need, uh, I agree with Dean, I think uh, a CMO, in particularly in larger organisations, is very, very important because measurement needs to be led. There, there needs to be some leadership around it. CEOs and the C-suite generally do not have the bandwidth to do that. Uh, they do need somebody who is going to be devoted to it, and, and they need to support that person, of course. But I do think there should be some kind of structured uh, development for somebody who's going to go into that. Maybe not a university degree, but something not too far from that kind of rigor. In the introduction, we've already talked about your two books, The Hardback Practical Performance Measurement, Unfortunately. I don't know if you can get it new anymore, uh, maybe get it used. And then your other book, it's both a paperback and you can get it on the Kindle version, how to create a high performance uh, culture and performance measure, uh, measurable success. It's called Prove It. The reason I bring those up is where in the world do you even get started asking Stacy Barr questions? So what I did, and I, I, I stressed about this just a little bit. I'm going to come up with three buckets. We're going to talk about the basics. We're going to talk about tools and we're going to talk about the, the people and the time that we have. So just again, the basics, Stacy, what exactly is performance measurement? It is a way to quantify how much something is happening uh, over time so that we can see changes in how much that something is happening. And the something that we're interested in is usually a result that really matters to us. And in business, that can be any kind of thing. It can be how loyal our customers are. It can be how much revenue a product's making. It can be how much rework people are wasting their time on. It can be how um, how accurate our advice is to, uh, to a customer. There are a, probably a billion different things that could matter in an organisation. But if we want to make those things better, which is really the endeavour of most organisations is to get better and better at, at what they do, at the impact they have and uh, the return they get from the part of the world they operate in. To get better and better, how much is a really important question to answer. And that's why we need measures. We need measures to quantify that how much. So we've got an objective understanding, a consistent understanding. And um, probably, I'm uh, kind of searching for a good word here, like a a, uh, a granulated understanding, something that's enough granulated that we can pick up small changes if we need to. Measurement does that for us. I love your answer. I don't know a single executive director, uh, a for-profit CEO would, who would disagree with that. They'd say we agree with it. However, why is everyone screwing it up? I, again, love the answer, but everyone, b before they meet you, that is, why is everyone blowing it on performance measurement? It's a funny uh, dynamic that happens between the technical side of measurement and the social side of measurement. Uh, numbers, when we do them really, really well, performance measures included, uh, get us closer to the truth. And the truth can be so scary. 
unfortunately, the culture in a lot of organisations, you all private sector, public sector, non-profit, uh, they're all pretty much the same when it comes to measurement. The culture has, has often made people accountable for specific results. Uh, it, it's held one person um, to blame when something hasn't gone very well. Now, I know that's not every organisation, but it's kind of endemic in a lot of, uh, a lot of them and, and in our culture in general. That's threatening. Uh, when you bring a performance measure into the mix, something that's getting us closer to the truth, in a way a lot of people fear that we're getting closer to the truth of what they're not actually able to achieve or haven't been able to accomplish, and we don't like that. I, I think that um, that then creates this need to only want to measure trivial things or things inside our direct control uh, or to not measure to know how much but just to know me- to, to measure whether um, we did or didn't as in like a milestone, did I do that or didn't I do it? doesn't matter if I did it well or if it had the impact I wanted to have. Did I do it or didn't I do it? And 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 that's what people will default measurement to. So that's it, it kind of creates this big mess and then that, that has a domino effect where uh, more and more people are measuring poor things or trivial things in the wrong ways and more and more people are wanting to resist measurement because of that threat that's associated with it. It's just snowballed. One of my theories, Stacey, is that a lot of organizations, a lot of CEOs, especially in $100 million businesses and under, and that's in U.S. dollars, they, they want the they want the they want quick results and if there's one thing i've learned in your first book practical performance measurement this takes time to flesh out and get it right and so again that's just one of my theories on on why they're blowing it is we 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 want the dashboard without the work that goes into the dashboard upstream oh no i was just going to say i don't think um we have the patience to uh to wait for real signals in our measures but even worse, I don't think we have the patience sometimes to um, to go back and overhaul the measurement system so that we can get better at getting faster information and um, and, and kind of meet that need that you just described of, of wanting to have fast results and to have big impact quickly. I want to jump into the tools real quickly. Uh, I know we can't blame the tools. Uh, anyone that's read uh, your books, read your blog, uh, they're going to learn a lot about process behavior charts. They're going to learn a lot about uh, Don Wheeler. And so we we cannot blame the tools uh, for causing bad performance measurement techniques or a methodology. Uh, we've got a lot of education, the process, we can't blame that. But where does Pump, so you are the creator of Pump, and Pump, by the way, is 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 intellectual property that you've created. How does Pump help the organizations. And I know you could spend a whole day, in fact, you you even have a training on this, but just briefly, how does Pump help the organizations that you walk into who are just craving what you have to to deliver to them? What you mentioned about the tools, Mark, is right. Uh, I think we get carried away with setting up a balanced scorecard or we get carried away with throwing data into a process behavior chart um, or we get carried away throwing whatever KPIs are easy to get our hands on into a really fancy dashboard. What we're doing is, is focusing too much on the thing and not enough on the thinking that's got to go behind it. Um, Pump is sometimes called a tool, but it's actually a thinking process. There isn't any software in Pump. There isn't um, a uh, well, there are a set of templates, I guess, but the templates are holding space in the real world for us to capture our thinking and to evolve our thinking and to do our thinking together. And those techniques and templates that 
that that pump has that facilitates that thinking for us have all come from, well, my roots back in the railways, trying to figure out how you do performance measurement. People struggle with it. And when I understood the struggles and realised they were the same struggles I had, I started looking more at, well, how do we need to think differently about this? Like we don't brainstorm our measures, you know, that that's not the, the approach to use. So how should we be thinking about the design of a performance measure so that what we end up with really does give us the answer to the, you know, to the right answer to the right question? So Pump has evolved over time to be uh, different ways to think about the essential steps in the measurement process. How do you make a goal measurable that's fluffy and vague and, and intangible? How do you design a measure for a specific goal so it's the best evidence of that goal? How do you get the right people involved and engaged and ready to support the measure and bring it to life? When you want to bring the measure to life, what are the important things to think about so that the right measure gets implemented with the right data, et cetera, and so on? So Pump is that. It's a series of steps, each with a technique that guides us to think in a much more uh, constructive and successful way about the things that will bring the right measures to life. As you very eloquently bring out the book, especially in the in the very beginning of practical performance measurement, you know, with performance measurement, we want desired outcomes that will continue, will be sustainable. Having said that, Laura Cesare was on our show a few weeks ago. She is the supply chain, I mean, like... <laughs> God, uh, she has like 300,000 followers on LinkedIn. And so a prior guest named uh, the 20, 30, 60 rule because they, they learned it from her. She didn't know there was a name for it, but she, he gave credit for her coming up with what's called the 10, 30, 60 rule for getting uh, change in an organization. Uh, 10% is all about the software. Uh, 30% is all about the new system, the new process. But the 60% is all people, is changed behaviors. Is it fair to say that within Pump and what you teach, Stacey, that if you want to have new changes, I mean transformational change in the organization as you're measuring key numbers, behavior change is critical. Is, is that a fair question, a fair, a fair statement? It's, a, it's great, actually. I, I'd never put a number to it. I've always said that, with measurement, the social side is at least as important as the technical side. So you've given it a number of 60%. So that works for me. <laughs> well, and, and that leads to the next question, Stacy, is just the dark side of performance measurement. Because I have a few clients I work with where I think we're finally nailing it on getting the right mindset. But if we don't watch it, those performance measurements can always come back to haunt us that, no, wait a minute, we're doing something wrong. And it, all of a sudden, performance measurement becomes negative instead of positive. How do you, I know, I know it's human nature to sometimes fault toward the negative when things, maybe performance starts sliding. How do you help or teach others to keep this positive? There are probably a couple of dimensions to this, at least. I think one is uh, that experimental mindset is so important uh, Adam Savage, one of the uh, Mythbusters guys. Did you ever watch that program? Yes. Yeah, it made it out to Australia. They, they were just great. But Adam Savage, I think I remember him saying something like uh, he never cared about the outcome of an experiment, whether it worked or didn't work. He was just fascinated that he could get an outcome, that he could learn something about it. And if we had that mindset around measurement, I think a lot of our fear about it would go away. But it's not just going to happen by saying to everybody, oh, it's about experimenting. It's not about judging. 
we've got to do more than just say that. And I think one of the things we can do that can powerfully shift the energy and perspective around performance measurement is to change our definition of accountability for it. So traditionally, when people feel they're accountable for a measure, and and honestly, every measure does need an owner. It needs somebody to monitor it and take care of it and, and whatever. But if we do the traditional thing, which is hold someone accountable for hitting a target, you know, you're measuring, well, it happens in sales, doesn't it? You're measuring the number of sales and unless you hit your quota, you're not good enough. It's judgment. We've got to change accountability to be more like, um, well, if you're the owner of a measure, then you're accountable for monitoring it regularly. You're accountable for interpreting it validly, correctly, not just knee-jerk reacting to this month compared to last month. And thirdly, uh, for initiating any action only when action's needed. And that initiating action is not hitting the target. That's getting the right people and resources together, the right support to uh, to, to do an experiment to try and get the measure to improve uh, uh, some kind of change initiative, maybe a, a project to um, to improve a process or, or, or change something in the way we do things so that the measure then shows a, an increase. So I think if we can do those two things, uh, it w- really will go a long way uh, to making measurement a positive experience. Real briefly, and I, I, obviously confidentiality uh, plays a role here, but can you think of an organization where you believe that there's been not just a benefit to the organization, but just the people themselves uh, even being somewhat transformed with the changes that came about with uh, the pump process. Uh, anything, any, any organizations come to mind? Yeah, a few do actually. Um, I do a fair bit of work in the defense sector. And what I've seen happen there is while measurement has not been led from the, the top, like we would like, you know, with the, the chief measurement officer, it's, it's done something quite interesting where it started from somewhere in the middle and it's grown and more and more people throughout the, the different defence organisations I work with, more and more people have just organically become attracted to better measurement. They've seen what their colleagues have done with Pump and they've said, oh, we want that too. That's really giving us clarity about how to do a better, a better job at, at, at whatever it is we're doing. So that has really inspired me that... Uh, that something can, a new idea can start in the middle of an organisation and spread. And that it's been spreading for years and years in those organisations. So it hasn't been the traditional roll down from the top approach, but it hasn't needed to be in that case. I think another, probably at the other end of the spectrum from, you know, defence through to a, a little software company, uh, they used Pump to try and, and measure uh, the, the quality of their work they did. But the consequence for them ended up being that their, their teams got so engaged in doing a better job and learning through measurement that they realised the, the teams could manage themselves. So they switched to a self-managed organisation structure and, and only had one layer of management, which was the, the, the founders of the company heading it up. But the teams just looked after themselves without the need for any management hierarchy. Yeah, hey, we need to make sure that you're not late to your next meeting. So a couple of la- qu- quick last questions. We asked this to a lot of people. Who, who have been some of the influencers in your past? I mean, look at where you are. And you allowed me to embarrass you before the, the show started. I was just thanking you for your books and, and your blog. Again, I look forward to your weekly uh, newsletter, which sends you to the blog. So you, you are an influencer to, to me, uh, and thank you. But now I want to know who's influenced you over the past professionally. I, I was really pleased you did ask that question because it's something I haven't reflected on much recently. So I, I've taken a lot of inspiration from, <laughs> from you asking me this. 
I think there's probably two two streams of influences. There's the influences in the content of my work around measurement, and then there's the influences in the way I go about getting these ideas out into the world. So I I think um, in the field of measurement, you've already mentioned Dean Spitzer. I I adore that man. I adore his work, and he has been such inspiration to me. Uh, Stephen Few as well, who uh, many people will know as the dashboard god. He's a remarkable um, he is, yes, uh, visual analysis guru, uh, but a brilliant man. And I think I've taken a lot from watching the way he's packaged his ideas, the way he's communicated them, the way he's got them out into the world and the rigour that he will not compromise in how he does that. Um, he's very inspiring. Uh, Donald Wheeler has also been a, a great help to me over the years with his work on uh, process behaviour charts, but mostly the XMR chart, which is what we've brought into Pump Yes, because it is the most powerful way to display any kind of performance measure pretty much. So so Don is, um, has supported me over the years in being able to do that as well. And he just has such a practical, accessible approach. You nailed it. You just took the words out of my mouth. He's not boring. Um, he, he writes on one of the uh, quality control websites, all those other, they're stat heads, and here's Don. Just he just he he talks like, well, I'm a country bumpkin from Missouri in the U.S., and I I can understand him. So he, he's a wonderful writer. Last question: Are you again? I don't want I don't want to embarrass because we actually have some authors who do not read a lot. They may say, well, I, you know, I like watching Netflix, or you know, I I, I generally read journals, newspapers, don't but. Uh, can we ask you what, what favorite books uh, you have? I do have favorite books and I have so many of them, but I am one of those people who just does not read a lot and I don't read cover to cover usually. It's it's a really good book, like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I read cover to cover uh, probably every few years. <laughs> I love it. It's a great book. Uh, and I love Oh, it is. It, it's a great book for um, my my original manager in the railways gave it to me because of the the discussion of the philosophical discussion of quality that right. it's about. But I love it to remind me just the power of clear thinking to get closer and closer to to truth and to understanding. But anyway, there's that book I read cover to cover. But there are there are heaps of books like uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb's book, uh, Fooled by Randomness, and Pfeffer and Sutton's Hard Facts, Dangerous Half-Truths and Total Nonsense. Uh, I love this book, um, Dialogue, by William Isaacs. In that, he talks about a conversation with a centre, not sides. So what I tend to do is I pick uh, these books that just sound great and that people recommend to me, and I flick through them and I pull out as much as I need to get a better understanding of of performance measurement and and my line of work generally. So I'm I'm a bit of a harvester of ideas from books, but not not necessarily somebody (laughs) who immerses herself in each one. Was it a few weeks ago in one of your blog posts, you mentioned the tyranny of metrics. That's a great book. Yeah. And I've, I've interviewed um, uh, Jerry Mueller uh, uh, about right. that book too. It, it was a, uh, I wouldn't say that that was a book that influenced me. That was a book I found very confirming. Yes. He had done a lot of research around things that I'd anecdotally picked up on uh, for, for many years and, and put a whole lot of substance around it. So I, I loved that book for that reason. And <laughs> He's not a measurement guru, as you and I just were discussing before we we started the interview. Uh, he's come from a completely different angle, but what he's produced is a, a modern classic in the field of measurement. Well, Stacey, this has been, I, I've looked forward to this. When this show started, you were on my top 10 list to be able to interview just because of the influence you've had on me. I hope we get to do this again. And there's a reason 
because I want to hear you talk about your one of your biggest pet peeves, and it's in the first book, Weasel Words. So if we ever get to talk again, we're going to talk about that word. So again, I thank you and all just please keep writing. Don't quit. I love writing. Thank you so much, Mark. And I love speaking with you as well and sharing, getting the opportunity to share my ideas with just a few more people. Thanks. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Stacey Barr, all I just ask is just keep hitting it out of the ballpark with everything you do. And by the way, Stacey, she knows exactly what I mean by that. And I, I'm sure as she's hearing this, she's got to be smiling uh, from Australia. Again, her, her books are Practical Performance Measurement and Prove It. I mentioned earlier on the show that Practical Performance Measurement is out of stock. Now, if you go to Amazon, you may see where you can buy it, maybe use, but guess what? You can download the Kindle version for free, and there's a small catch, but the cost is minimal because I love her blog writing. Head over to cfobookshelf.com backslash measurement. Again, cfobookshelf.com backslash measurement. That will take you to her sign-up page for signing up to her newsletter. Again, it's outstanding. And it's one of the few newsletters I read from beginning to end every weekend uh, when it comes out. Uh, again, saveabookshelf.com backslash measurement, and you will get a free electronic version of the book, Practical Performance Measurement. Hey, until next week, I'm Mark Gandy with CFO Bookshelf.